Okay, welcome back to the Madness and Grace podcast. Today, Matt and I are joined by a good friend and co-worker of ours, Lauren. How are you, Lauren? I am doing great. This is fun, kind of. (laughs) (laughs) It is fun. It's like, yeah, one of the more fun projects. Matt, how's it going today? Going well. How are you? Doing all right? I'm excited to talk about this topic, not only because I think everyone has some sort of relation to this topic. I know I do in my family. And I, of course, have gotten to know Lauren really well. And Lauren, we're so grateful that you're here and you're willing to share a little bit about your story with addiction. Yeah, absolutely. We've got some questions and I'll go ahead and get us started. So Lauren, can you share a little of your personal journey with addiction and how it led you to seek recovery, whatever you're comfortable with? Yeah, absolutely. I guess what's important to first say is that um, I am Lauren and I'm in recovery, um, from alcoholism and I have been sober over eight years. Um, I just celebrated that on, or the eighth anniversary on May 2nd. So I'm going to start with the hope that, um, you know, recovery is possible. Um, your dark past can become your greatest asset. Um, it certainly is mine now. And I hope to tell y'all more about that. Um, but what, what led me, you know, to, to seek help was shortly after I graduated from college, um, I just noticed that I was drinking beyond, um, the limits I wanted to be within that my family wanted, and it was starting to affect everything in my life, you know, my relationships, um, my, you know, career path, certainly my friendships. Um, and it really just felt like it got out of control very, very quickly. And it was really, really scary. So, um, like most of us that do, um, either get sober or, you know, are trying to get sober, we typically face some consequences (laughs) that lead us to wake up. (laughs) Um, and, you know, for that, I'm actually thankful as, as painful as they may be. So, um, for me, you know, I ended up in the hospital a couple times. I went to multiple institutions and rehab-like settings. There were some consequences related to the law. Then I lost my job. So things got pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> um, and the only reason I share that is because I think, and we'll get to these like stigmas and all of that, but I think people really kind of don't believe me. They're like, what? <laughs> um And I guess that's a good thing. So, yeah, like you were saying before we recorded, you know, someone might not look at me and think that I'm someone who would go through something like this. So, yeah, it kind of, you know. Yeah, this was not just like one too many glasses of wine, you know, or, you know, one bad night. This was Mm -hmm. becoming an everyday ordeal for sure. Hey, uh, well, you mentioned relationships earlier with family and friends. Can can you tell us a little bit about how um, your addiction impacted your relationships? Maybe during the time that you were actively involved in addiction, and then as you moved through the recovery process, how did those relationships change? For sure. Well, I mean, my family used to tell me, Lauren, you aren't even close to a version of yourself. You know, there's a lot of dishonesty that comes with addiction because I know for me, I was so ashamed and this was also out of character 
because it wasn't something that I wanted to keep doing. Um, it wasn't something I didn't want to continue drinking, but I would try, 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 and then I would fail. So it, I mean, it truly affected everything, including all of my relationships. And, you know, looking back, I mean, I wouldn't want to be friends with me. Um, and that's just the sad truth of what the disease of, of substance use disorder does. I mean, it really, it destroys on a big level. <laughs> yeah. I do want to answer, you know, how have these relationships evolved? Mm-hmm. Um, they're stronger. They're of more quality. There's deeper conversations. I am trusted. I'm the go-to family member for advice, which is kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have so many friends that I would never have before. And um, I, I grew up in a little bit of a bubble and, <laughs> It's so refreshing and so cool to meet people that don't look like me um, and aren't from the same background as I am. But um, we have the one thing of recovery in common and we have this sobriety journey together. And it's just so cool to have a new host of friends in that way and provide support back and forth. But um, my dad, and it's really sweet, kind of makes me tear up a little bit, but he always just says, Lauren, you're my hero you know, and, and there were many days that he thought, you know, is she going to live? And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, just as quickly as the addiction came in and took over, what was so cool is that once I was ready to get into the recovery process, I mean, all these amazing promises that I believe are God-given gifts came true. And so it's, it's a really neat thing. I'm glad you shared about that too, because it's like, There's always, I feel like you always hear, well, my relationships fell apart. They completely diminished, you know, but you can get on the other side of that. So that's refreshing to hear. Absolutely. And it's even, again, the relationships are that much better. Right. Um, There's not much superficial talk in my life. Um, I'm sure you've noticed that. (laughs) It gets gets deep pretty quick, I think, but that's, that's a good thing. To you personally, like what are some common misconceptions that you hear, some stigmas that you kind of feel called to challenge or dispel about addiction? Absolutely. And, you know, first of all, I just want to preface all of this with saying this is just my personal experience. I am by no means (laughs) an expert on addiction or have any type of, um, you know, qualifications close to what Matt does. Um, but I really do think experience is just so valuable. So anyway, um, so I think one of the first misconceptions or stigmas is that in order to be an addict or an alcoholic or, or whatever it is, even if it's just struggling with a mental health issue that you have to come from a really rough background, a terrible family life, and that you're likely like homeless and under a bridge. Right. I mean, that is just not true. The disease of addiction um, does not discriminate. Mental health issues do not discriminate based on your race, your economic status, um, you know, whether your parents were married or not. And so I think that's just important that it's to, you know, make clear is that it's not an external situation that's causing this. It can sometimes contribute is what I've seen over the years. I'm sure Matt would agree to that too, but it doesn't, it's not a guarantee. 
So that's kind of the first thing I was thinking of. Um, I got really excited and I wrote a list. So here's number two is that disease and addiction is, or the, sorry, the disease of addiction is um, a willpower issue. Um, I used to hear a lot, if you wanted to, you could stop. Everything in me wanted to stop. Um, I wanted to turn them out around my life. It was very clear to me that this was not what God wanted for me, what my family wanted for me, what I wanted for me. Um, but an external object, while it is powerful and impactful, it can't, it just, it takes a lot. Um, and I think if I could, um, uh, I guess we could have my husband hop on and then I think Emily and Matt can attest. Mm -hmm. I've got some strong willpower, you know, I've, I've, I kind of set my mind on something. Y'all probably seen this in the workplace and we get it done. Right. And um, so that's kind of the second thing I wanted to touch on. And the third thing, and this is really for like, I was thinking about this for family members viewing their loved one that's struggling. They are probably doing bad things, if you will. Their behaviors are bad, but throughout the recovery progress, while those bad things will be going away, will be a byproduct of what's going on. Mm-hmm. They're really just sick getting well. And it really is, you can ask anyone that's close to me, literally just like a different Lauren, an old Lauren, like mm-hmm. a completely opposite human being. Um, so, you know, we talk a lot about grace here at Hope and Healing. Yeah. I hope that allows some family members and friends to give their struggling loved ones um some grace. Um Two more things, I promise. Um, (laughs) Number four is that there's not only one way to recover. Um, You know, there's there's not just one path. There ended up being one path for me um, after trying a whole bunch of other things. But, you know, I happen to recover through the 12 steps. That does not mean that I have a monopoly on you know, sobriety or, or getting well. Um, so I wanted to mention that. And last but certainly not least, um, this goes, this is, I'm thinking of the family too. The great news about recovery or, you know, being recovered is that once this person um, has a little bit of time under their belt and is really healthy spiritually, mentally, and physically, the family doesn't have to change their behaviors. People don't have to remove alcohol from their home. Mm-hmm. It's not like it can't be talked about. Um, I don't get offended when people say, do you want to go grab a drink? To me, yeah. that these days, that just means, sure, I'll go have a Diet Coke with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, now there's a lot of mocktail options, so that's good. You know, the the ultimate goal is to live, you know, a normal life. Um Right. And my husband is a normal drinker and we have alcohol in our home and it's just not an issue. It's not something that tempts me or scares me or that I think about. So yeah. that yeah, was a I long, agree. that was a long answer. To no, it was, a, it was a great answer. I, no, and like, 
you made a comment like, you know, I'm not an expert or whatever, but I feel like Matt and I interview a lot of experts and we don't interview a lot of people who have actually gone through the issues that we're talking about. So I think it's a really fresh perspective. And you mentioned, um, you know, you went through a lot of different uh, treatment approaches during your during your recovery time. Some were helpful and some were not. Uh so you mentioned the 12 steps. Did, did you consider, did you acquire, kind of engage the 12 steps in a, in a support group setting like AA, or did you engage that while you were an inpatient? What did you, what did you think was the most helpful treatment intervention uh, or relapse management approach or whatever you want to call it during your recovery? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so yes, 12 steps as far as a support group. Um, I'm still active in that. Um, I have my fellow peers who, who are sober. Um, but actually what's really neat and something that I didn't know is I thought that the 12 step program was about learning how to not drink, um, or learning how to just say no. Um, actually what the 12 steps is, R is a pathway to getting connected to God um, and to staying close to God. Um, we also refer to God as our higher power um, if, you know, it's not a Christian God um, like mine. But with all of that to say, um, the 12 steps, my sponsor used to say this to me. She used to say, and a sponsor is just a mentor who guides you through this process. But she used to say to me, Lauren, the 12 steps is um, spirituality for dummies. <laughs> and she's right. It lays out a path of, of how to go throughout the day, how to treat others, how to help others, how to seek out other alcoholics and addicts that are struggling, the benefits of doing so. I think all of you all know, or everyone that works here, that I go to a women's type home every Tuesday night and I volunteer my time and I help the women that are still on the dark side and, and you kind of let them know what I did. Um, and honestly, not honestly, oddly enough, the 12 steps actually not say and encourage that we seek out therapists, professionals, psychiatrists, in addition to the program, if and when need be. So that has most certainly been a part of my journey and still is. So I just want to mention that. Right. Well, in that uh, recovery journey, I mean, how has that uh, influenced your career path? Did, did that affect uh, where you ended up working and where you work now? <laughs> yes. So I was in, um, I graduated with a degree in communications and I was in for-profit marketing and PR and it was pretty cutthroat and crazy and lots of wild hours and actually a place in Dallas um, that is also a nonprofit. Um, it's called the Magdalene House. Helped me a lot. I mean, that's an understatement. Helped me on my recovery journey, my journey to sobriety, whatever you want to call it. And um, their executive director approached me one time and asked me if I wanted to be on the philanthropy team. And then she told me what I was going to get paid. <laughs> and I laughed really hard and I thought, I don't even know how I'm going to live. But, you know, they specifically help alcoholic women recover at no cost as well. And the cool thing is, is that I've learned through trusting God and, um, you know, doing something I'm passionate about that the financial stuff will get taken care of. Um, and so 
my recovery journey has completely shifted my thoughts on what a job is, on why I'm there. Um, What I love about working here, for example, is not only the people that we're helping, um, but just that my days really have deep purpose and meaning. Um, It's not about the paycheck. And that, to me, is one of the greatest privileges um, in the world to get to do something like that. So we're obviously so happy that you're here with us and not just saying that for the podcast recording, we really are (laughs) happy that you're here with us. And, you know, Lauren, what would you say to people who are unsure or hesitant about getting help for their addiction? Maybe they think it's not so bad. They could do it on their own. What would you say to people who are hesitant? You cannot do it on your own. That is for sure. Um, You need other people in recovery. Um, Sometimes, as I mentioned, professionals Mm -hmm. um, in the field, certainly a relationship with some higher power. Um, Isolation is someone with addictive tendencies, worst nightmare. There's nothing worse, even for me to this day, than to be isolated. Oh, I, I kept thinking during COVID how hard it would be to get sober during that time. Like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's so many great benefits to this digital virtual world that um, sometimes we need a hug, you know, from someone who's been through what we've been through. Um, I was going to say that, you know, for this person who's struggling to find someone that is sober themselves, who's been through maybe not all of the details of of your same situation, but has been there because, you know, I know I talked about guilt and shame a little bit earlier. I mean, there's nothing worse than feeling alone, right. Than feeling isolated. And I believed the women that I was surrounded by that were telling me, you know, that the 12 steps works, that I could recover more importantly I believed them when I saw them go pick up carpool and tell me that they were going on a family vacation and doing just normal things that I had wanted to do for so long, but my disease was keeping me from. And so there was so much hope and inspiration from them. Um, I think also like call hope and healing or just show up here (laughs) in all seriousness. Yeah, Um, I am not kidding you. I, you know, most, well, I don't know if you're listening, I lived in Dallas, you know, for over 30 years and there were a lot of, there was a lot of research involved in my recovery of finding the best place and, you know, the most quality place to, to get sober, to get my mental health in order. And I have never in my life, um, seen or experienced or witnessed any place like Hope and Healing Center um, and Institute. Um, I I genuinely mean that. Um, to remove the barrier of cost, no matter who you are, mm-hmm. is so helpful. I mean, I just, I can't even emphasize that enough. So um, I could go on and on and on. Yeah. I get very passionate. Yeah. No, well, thank you so much for sharing. And I mean, like I said earlier, Matt and I are always interviewing, 
you know, professionals in the field and it can get kind of clinical at times. So it's kind of nice to have a conversation that's just more personal and hopeful. Um, so we really appreciate it, Lauren. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing. And I know that's not always easy, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I appreciate you being honest. I think people need to hear uh, more from people that have been through. And it's certainly in a in a 12-step, you know, peer support kind of setting, that's pretty common. But uh, I think, unfortunately, you know, fewer, you know, less people go to those than they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, a lot of times, like you said, I think you made a good point. They, I think a lot of times they'll try to go get help on their own. You know, like I'll find a therapist or I'll go to this program and it's a very, you know, I'm, I'm just going to kind of hide in the background and try to get treatment. But, and for some that may work, it may work, but it's certainly, we're big advocates of peer support here at the Hope and Healing Center and having people with the lived experience walking along with you. So thank you. Thank you for your willingness to share. You reminded me of one thing that I think would be helpful to some others. Sorry that I forgot to say. No, please. <laughs> just as this is going to sound silly, just as if you try new restaurants or churches or people to cut your hair, do the same thing if you're struggling to find um, recovery. Do the same thing with the places and that you seek out. It's it's again, it's not a one size fit all. And I, you know, I have heard some stories that are terrifying, right? Of the way 12 step groups are led or, you know, how a therapist spoke to them about their addiction. And so my suggestion would be to not give up. I mean, that's what I did. I didn't give up. I just kept seeking out to find the right fit, you know, and I think that's I think that's good advice. I've had people tell me they went to an AA group and that was it. You know, mm-hmm. that's not for me. And I never went back and I suffered for many, many, many more years before I ever got, you know, and same thing, like you said, with therapists, some people don't like to go to therapists. Some people don't want to go to inpatient, but you know, you have to find the recovery pathway. Uh, I mean, the process is similar, but the pathway may be different for people. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, exactly. uh, It's the difference of like, you know, to me, contemporary church where you can wear jeans and there's a rock band up there and that those that like to take communion and, you know, a lot of it's preference and and you just have to find the right thing. So just don't give up that you focus on the end goal, which is is sober and sober and free from from addiction, not uh, not how you get to that. You are never too far gone. I mean, that would be. My last parting thoughts. I mean, it is never too late. You're never too far gone. Um, I give credit to my higher power for this, but I'm a walking miracle. And anybody that has known me for a while will say that. And um, that's a cool thing. So really well, cool. thank you. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. And for everyone who's listening, as always, I'm going to leave all of our information in our show notes, Hope and Healing Center. Uh, you can find us at hhci.org and you can find all kinds of things on our website, um, including 12-step support groups. Um, and give us a call too, if you're struggling and need support. Thank you, Matt and Lauren. Thank you. Thank you.